Hi there, and welcome to the last Papa PhD interview of 2020. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with Eric James Stevens, founder of Change Higher Ed, a platform where, in the summer of 2020, being unemployed, he set out to help PhDs understand their value through live-streamed events and workshops that ended up bringing many thought leaders into the discussion and having over 250 registered attendees. With him, I discussed the pressure COVID has brought on the higher education space and the change this pressure means for PhDs considering their career options today. Understand that what you can do with the experience that you have is amazing. And there are people who want to hire amazing people. You cannot go into that situation saying, listen, I have a PhD. I have a master's degree. Therefore, you should hire me. Um, that's, that's not what we should be doing at all. Um, it should be like, hey, this is what I did to earn my PhD. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. And today we have Eric James Stevens, who is the founder of Higher 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 Ed. <laughs> it's kind of a tongue twister. And uh, Change Higher Ed. Uh, and also Thousand Plateaus Consulting LLC. His organization's goals are to highlight the value of higher ed workers as they migrate to industry, government, and non-profit jobs outside of academia. During this foundational shift in the landscapes of higher education exposed by the COVID pandemic, Eric sees opportunity for change. Welcome to Papa PhD, Eric. Uh, thank you so much, David. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. S same here. I, I love your projects. I, I love that in this moment of uncertainty for a lot of people, and, and with that we, I think we we're probably going to talk a little bit about dealing with uncertainty in this conversation, that you are uh, nurturing projects to to exactly to kind of work against this uncertainty and uh, and help people who are thinking of transitioning, thinking of their professional future. So, uh, yeah, I would start just by letting you uh, introduce yourselves to, to the listeners and uh, to, yeah, to share uh, who you are, what you studied and how you came to uh, nurture and, and think of the projects that you are nurturing today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and first of all, thank you so much for um, uh, inviting me onto this. Like I, I approached you and uh, just like this really fun collaboration. Um, I think that this is what I've learned throughout my entire experience over the past few months um, is that these relationships like this um, are everywhere. And so I'm really grateful that we're able to be talking about this um, this morning. It's totally my pleasure. And uh, one thing, if, if I must say one thing, is that the the this community of, of uh, like PhD career exploration, uh, career, you know, skills development, either on Twitter or LinkedIn, when we met on LinkedIn, uh, it's so vibrant and so positive. So yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for that too. Yeah, um, it's been it's been so much fun um, going through all of this, and um, which is kind of I don't know if it's the right 
right way to say that um, after you might hear my story. Maybe it's not that fun. Um, <laughs> so to kind of give you, give you my background, um, education-wise, um, I finished my English literature degree, master's degree from Utah State University. Um, I mm-hmm. didn't take any literature classes. I ended up taking a whole bunch of theory classes um, okay. just because I, I loved learning how things worked. And that's what got me into um, rhetoric and communication. So my doctorate degree is rhetoric communication and information design from Clemson University, where I graduated in 2018. Um, And we can talk about that experience too. Um, It was a lot of fun from start to finish. I did my PhD in three years. Um, And so I had a plan. I knew what I wanted to do. When I finished, I had four or five offers um, where I could kind of pick where I go, like anywhere from University of Bahamas uh, to a school that was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Mm-hmm. Um, an industry gig in Chicago and the job oh, wow. that I ended up taking, which was um, a small school near my, where my wife was in Washington state. Um, okay, and so okay. like, I, I, like I had, I had a pretty good go of it. Like I, I, I did really well. Um, I worked at central Washington university for two years and then okay. I got laid off because of COVID. Um, COVID yeah, yeah, we were, um, I was a, uh, writing teacher. I, I worked specifically with the developmental writing program and the academic mm-hmm. coaching program um, and kind of saw the writing on the wall that weren't, yeah. weren't going to have a job. Um, and that was April this past year. And then this whole thing really started out as me trying to find that, that vibrant community on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and just having it not be there um, the way that I thought that it was. And so it turned into I, I created a hashtag, higher, higher ed, like, just like, Hey, let's do this mm-hmm. fun little event. I thought I was being <laughs> clever making it on a uh, uh, national best friends day. It was June 8th. And okay. it was just like, really like, Hey, <laughs> let's get together for an hour and connect. Um, yeah. And then in the United States, after um, George Floyd was murdered and black lives matter erupted across the country, I was like, okay, um, I don't want to take any attention away from that. I want to see what I can do um, to kind of embed these things that we're talking about. And I just went to work and in less than two months, that one hour plea went into, Mm -hmm. it was a two day conference with 50 speakers. We had nine live streamed panels that are still available on YouTube and where they're not coming down off of YouTube. Um, Mm. We had 20 workshops that were all um, designed for academics, uh, for teachers to leave academia and education. Yeah. And from there, um, it's just been kind of going. I'm still unemployed and still trying to figure things out. But um, this initiative of higher, higher ed and change higher ed is is kind of this this thing that I can't not do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of shows uh, the success of, of the event that people uh, at this point, uh, you know, uh, like hiring freezes, layoffs, like you were mentioning, they are looking for answers and they're looking to, to, to network and to connect with people who might somehow you know, tell tell them that give them that information that will allow them to to go to the next step and and find their next opportunity. But it is it is uh, it is a, a difficult moment, and I have I have other interviews uh, that that uh, in this season of people who are in the same situation as you, mm-hmm. uh, someone in France, for example, who also is trying to find an opportunity, and it's really really difficult right now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Now I have a curiosity. You talked about rhetoric and uh, so your 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 doctorate. Yes. Ret- rhetoric and rhetoric and communication. 
communication. Yeah. And you said that you had one offer in industry. I'm really curious what that offer was based on the subject that you were um, on. It was doing instructional design, um, like um, training uh, and development for a home security system company. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very cool. It's interesting because, uh, and I'm going to just quickly talk about it. My first job after my PhD was in a, an agency, a communications agency for pharma. And there was a, there was a bunch of, of uh, instruction designers in there. It was because they were like doing workshops, uh, learning modules. So now it makes sense. Now that you told me what it was, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, instructional design. And it's a very, very cool domain. It, domain. Yeah, it really is. Actually, um, after the, the August event, I've started doing a weekly series of live discussions because it's kind of my the genre that I really love. Um, last okay. week, we interviewed Chris Katerine, who is the author of Leaving Academia. But this week, tonight, we're having a discussion um, with three uh, career um, instructional designers on how to become an instructional designer. Like, how do you translate teaching into learning and development? Um, just like that translation oh. of skills is, is a lot of what we end up focusing on. Very cool. And that's going to be on YouTube? Um, yeah, that's it's going to be live streamed to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, um, and eventually LinkedIn okay. once we get it going. But um, And everything will be housed okay. um, on YouTube. Like, we won't be taking anything off. Okay, the, the this episode will will air some some weeks after we're recording mm -hmm. it, but for yeah. sure you're gonna you're gonna share with me those yes, links absolutely. because I'm gonna I'm gonna include them in the yes, show notes. Absolutely, these are very cool conversations and anything that can help people out there even discover a career that they they didn't imagine existed is is very very important today. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that's um, if there's one thing that I could tell. Um, If there's one thing that I could tell anybody out there who has an advanced degree right now is that your answer is not another degree. Um, you have to understand that what you've already done is incredibly valuable, mm -hmm. but you need to be able to translate that value. Like a lot of yeah. career coaches yeah. talk about transferable skills and those are there. Mm -hmm. But, and I think we're, we'll talk about this as we go along. This is, this is my specialty Definitely. with rhetoric and communication. Um, yeah. Who's your audience? Um, you have mm -hmm, to speak mm -hmm. their language. You have to learn their lingo. Plus, you, you said you had some experience also in academic uh, coaching. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly the mm -hmm. term that you mm -hmm. used, but but for, I, I imagine that uh, that also kind of brings uh, brings to you this know how of of, of and and we're going to definitely talk about those things. Um, let's just still delve a little bit uh, on your PhD. You did it really fast, uh, com you know, compared to, yeah. <laughs> for me, it took uh, six, seven years. Um, but uh, how, you know, once you found your subject, clearly something you were passionate about, so that must have helped. What would you say determined that you were able to, uh, yeah, to, to conclude it so quickly? And, uh, and because this meant that, at what age were you when you, when you were posting for jobs? Pretty young. Uh, um, yeah, I was... Um, 2018, like, like 32, I think that's what okay. it was. Yeah. 32. Um, what is when I was like, when I had finished, um, yeah. man, I don't know if that's right. I don't know how <laughs> my wife makes fun of me for that all the time, but anyway, um, yeah. So, so what I, and so this is, I did the same thing. My master's program, I finished, um, a, a semester early as well. Um, and so like we, we'd kind of talked about this before we started on about the idea of mentors. Mm -hmm. But um, if you are in the process of picking a mentor, um, this is what I did. And this is what I okay. would recommend that people do is go to your mentor with a plan. 
Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to your mentor to help them, to ask them to help you create a plan, that's so much work that they don't want to have to do. Um, mm-hmm. I went for my master's degree. Um, I went in and I, um, all of my colleagues at the time, they were going to professors and saying, you know, hey, can you work with me on this? Like, I think I have this idea. I want to go this way. Um, I went mm-hmm. to my, who's my now advisor or my mentor, um, Dr. Joyce Kincaid at Utah State University. Um, okay. And I said, hey, um, Joyce, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, this is what I have done to get there. Would you like to be a part of this project? Um, and she was like, yes, absolutely. And that's what that I did so with, cool. with my other, with my other um, committee members as well. And then also with my dissertation committee. Um, I went to mm-hmm. my chair mm-hmm. and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. Will you support me in doing this? Because if you're not, you that's in? totally fine. I'll ask somebody mm-hmm. else. Um, <laughs> but like you have to own that this is your education. And so for me, what I did, um, I knew I was, I was looking for dissertation projects. I was just kind of like thinking about things I wanted to do. Um, and I think it was in the, the summer of 2014 or 15, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. I listened to the um, Last Week Tonight by John Oliver and he did a segment yeah. on prisons. Um, and okay. I was like, wow, that's what I, that's, I think what I want to do. Like I knew that I wanted to do a project that involved big data. I knew that mm-hmm. I wanted to do a project that involved technical communication because I'm a technical communication scholar. Um, and I knew that I needed a project. Um, and so I picked prisons and I, was, and I said, okay, this is my project. Um, I don't know what it is exactly, but I know that I'm going to gather a whole bunch of prison documents and I'm going to do a big data analysis on them. Um, and so I had two years of coursework. We had, it was a pretty intense program. It's only a four-year program to begin with. Um, and so I was, we were taking three classes a quarter or three classes a semester while teaching two classes. Um, and so it was just, it was a lot to do. Um, but I went into every class and I asked this question, how is this class going to help me with my dissertation? Um, every Mm -hmm. committee that I served on everything that I did, I asked, how is this going to be on my CV and how can I do it better? Um, so by the time I was finished with my two years of coursework, I had a pretty, pretty rough draft of my dissertation, um, of all the, mm-hmm. the theoretical background, um, of all, of all of that. And then what I had to do next was collect my data and then hang out with my friend, Ben Webster, um, and Katie Blackwell out of NLP logics, um, who ended up co-authoring one of my chapters with me because they are the ones that helped me write the code and do all these things. Um, and for a long time, mm-hmm. um, I felt bad about that. And people kind of gave me, um, crap for, um, co-authoring. Um, that's like a bad thing to do in the humanities a little bit. Um, okay. Okay. Because in, in yeah. life sciences, it's yeah, the way exactly. to go. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I think the humanities have a lot to learn from the life sciences. Um, and so, uh, it was just a great experience that everything that I did, I made sure that it served more than one purpose. Um, and mm-hmm, so it mm-hmm. was either I was getting a grade for a class and it was a chapter of my dissertation or I was getting a grade for a class and this was a conference presentation, which was then going to go into a, um, publication and just like, everything I did had a purpose. Um, don't wait until you're finished with coursework to come up with an idea that, that, that is yeah. a lot better to do in the humanities than it is the sciences, um, from what I'm learning. Um, but yeah. 
There's a lot of trial and error in the sciences yeah. that makes it l- l- very. You can be lucky and have things work from day mm-hmm. one, let's say, but it it's yeah. rare. <laughs> and, and, and I would say that, like, I don't think that um, I put myself out there as this standard, which I've been accused of doing. Is like you're putting up this false standard of what people can do. Um, but what I want mm-hmm. to show is that people can can do a lot more than they think in a very short amount of time if you separate your value from academia. Like mm-hmm. if you learn to value who you are as a person and your own mental being and your other responsibilities you have in your life, like I had my wife and my children, I have three kids now, um, I knew what I needed to do for them and that helped me t- to not yeah. be so indecisive in making decisions about my, yeah. my degree. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, well, having a family, uh, and I know this now, you know, makes you live through life in a different way and try to really make sure you're you're making the most of the time you have because you have time that you want to give to your family. That's, mm-hmm. one, that's one thing mm-hmm. also too, right? But it's true that anyone, you know, even if you're, if you're single and you maybe you started your PhD uh, – because it was the next the next step uh, in your academic track starting to find this mission kind of uh, kind of a mission from day one and having intention like each day live it with intention definitely will help you and and I think I feel that that's what happened with you or not happened that's how you lived through it and that's I guess why you were able to 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 like check those boxes yeah it was as, actually as um, it was a pretty um, it was a pretty intense experience. I, I actually think like, I think that I'm working through some actual like PTSD type experiences <laughs> from my program because I was in a position where uh, there was another cohort member. Um, I have the, I, my personality is one that polarizes people. People either like me a lot or they, they don't like me a lot. And she was one that did not like me a lot. Um, and it got so bad okay. to the point where I had asked my advisor um, and the director of the program, I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. Can I take these classes independent study? Because we, we did a cohort model. Okay. Um, like I okay. can't okay. stay in the classroom nine hours a week with this person. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would end up just dreading doing anything. And like, I, I look back at that, okay. that three years of like, of like lethargy, Right. Um, and then it came to the point where, no, I had to perform. I had to do what I needed to do. And so I just sit down and just bang it out. Um, I, I, and so it's like, so I, I really like what you said about like, you know, have intention from day to day, but also for me, I recognize that that day to day part, I couldn't do as much because of my own mental health. Um, so what I did was like, what do I need to do? Like, like week to week kind of like thinking on that scale. And then when you, when you can find moments to do your work, make sure that those, that hour two or three hours that you have blocked out in that day is, is focused. Um, but as you're doing all of these things, the number one thing is never ever sacrifice your mental health. It is genuinely not worth it. <laughs> no, no. And you talked, you said something about, um, uh, values of academia versus your values and it's true that it's easy when you start on and tell me if you agree to copy and paste the values of academia onto you because you 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 look at academia as something that's up there and that you 
kind of uh, reach and you, uh, the terms escaping me, but that um, you admire and and somehow there's this psychological thing of, okay, you know, it's it's these values are maybe not exactly mine, but I aspire to that, so I'm going to copy and paste them onto me. And you, you're talking about mental health, and this is pretty risky in in terms of mental health if you do this. Uh, and I'm thinking uh, in my domain, uh, in the, the domain that I worked, this means some people uh, start finding it normal or trying to make it normal that you work every day of the week, you know, and uh, Sundays, Saturdays, and uh, and have 60, 80-hour weeks, etc. And it's normalized. And, so, and somehow also... Uh, depending but some labs some institutions do and some some pis personally do kind of nurture nurture this culture and i think you touch a very important point and and i'm super happy that you mentioned mental health but it's your values are what is going to st- what's going to stay with you and keep you afloat throughout your life absolutely and 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 if you crush them you might be in trouble yeah and i would say that um i love that phrase like copying pasting those those values onto you as you're trying to aspire to become that thing. Um, and I think one of the easiest things, like one of the, the easiest ways that PIs and faculty reinforce that false narrative is by saying, well, it's a tough job market. Like, I mean, you got to do what you got to do without realizing, did you know that there are other jobs than being a professor? Um, and, and like, just like being <laughs> yeah. able to say like, okay, um, no matter how, and this is a, a, you know, a common phrase I've heard and talking with a lot of people, like no matter how much you love academia, um, it's never going to love you back. It never will. Like you will <laughs> always put in more than what it will give you. And you have to like sincere, like we have, we have a whole nother panel, um, that's coming up. That's all about like what academics can do to understand their time as a billable hour. Um, like if you're like, if you are worth a hundred dollars an hour, which you probably are. If you have a PhD, you just need to find the right value system. Um, and then at like, what is the return on investment on these things? Like these are, these mm-hmm. are like, these are phrases that academics don't like to think about honestly, because they do not understand value. Um, mm-hmm. And so being able to say, you know what? I don't want to spend 80 hours a week writing this article that's going to take two years to publish that will take um, another year to review and then to get Mm. published to be read by maybe 50 people. If you're lucky. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What's the point? Like Mm -hmm. you you really have to ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, what is it? And, and like, it can't be, well, this is just what I love. It's my passion. Like, this is just what I need to do. That just feeds into the narrative that that means, well, if it's a passion, that means it's an unattainable value, which means you can't put value on your mm-hmm. time. So work 80 hours a week until this thing that you can never actually get. <laughs> Whereas if you say like, no, yeah. I have X amount of time and I value this time. And then you, you do what you need to do. You accomplish mm-hmm. what you need to accomplish. You know, I, I have crossed and I have interviewed people in season one who are academics and do have these values and, and do live by the what you just said. 
the thing is there's there's a whole gamut of of people in academia but where i think it really hurts is when they try to inculcate this because they're in their you know tenure track career they they you know they they can decide this for themselves but to impose this on students who now we know only 20% of them at best go into tenure track careers but to impose this regimen on them it's really really harsh before going back to the interview, I just want to let you know of a promotion offer that I received for all of the Papa PhD listeners. If you need graphics or animations for your research, or if you're creating scientific content of any kind, Scientist Studio reached out to me to offer 10% off of any of their services, from whiteboard animations and script writing, to social media management, and conference launch packages. To get the 10% off, all you need to do is go to scientist.studio with two T's, the link is in the show notes, and use the promo code PAPAPHD in one word at checkout. And now, back to our interview. So welcome to part two of my conversation with Eric, and uh, we were talking in, in at the end of part one of, of this kind of disconnect, or also of this... this uh, injustice i i want to say of wanting to not wanting but of this tendency of from academia to impose um some some pretty harsh rules or values upon new candidates that arrive and uh we we talked about impact the impact of this on on mental health and uh, we know there's numbers out there that mental health issues in graduate school are are quite prevalent um but in this second part, I, I'd really want to tap into, uh, you know, this vault of 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 knowledge that Eric has been has been garnering lately with these panels that he's been uh, this, he's been hosting that are ongoing. There, there's panels, and again, I'll share links to to the the YouTube channel uh, in the show notes. But uh, Eric, yeah. Thinking of the situation we have right now, all this uncertainty about jobs, you know, during times of, of COVID, um, what have you, you know, what would you say from the conversations you've had or, or things that really stand out and that can help people out there today? So I've been kind of going back and forth about do I adopt the hashtag higher, higher ed, or do I adopt hashtag change higher ed? Like which one should I go with? <laughs> um, and I realized that, um, that I can't focus just on one. Um, and I, the reason for that is because I think that there are two themes that have emerged from all these conversations that I've been having with people. The first mm -hmm. one in alignment with the idea of like job prospects um, is that there are a lot of people who are going on the job market right now. Um, there are more people who don't know they're about to go on the job market right now. There's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of layoffs come December, a lot of layoffs come in June. Uh, we just saw at the beginning of September, um, uh, UM Amherst furloughed 850 employees indefinitely. Oh, wow. What is happening is that people are genuinely um, worried. People are, are afraid. Um, they don't know yeah. what to do. And that's, and like also seeing that I think it was uh, according to the, the CEO of, of higher ed jobs, John Nickenberry in a podcast that he was on lately said that this time last year, there's been a 58% reduction 
of jobs across higher ed. Um, it's going to be hard. People mm-hmm. are, will be rejected. You cannot personalize that rejection. You have to understand that it's not you that is the problem. Because if you do think it's you that's the problem, like why am I not getting a job? Going back to the mental health that we were talking about before, it's just going to deteriorate. You're going to have mm. depression. You're going to be anxious. Um, understand that what you can do with the experience that you have is amazing. And there are people who want to hire amazing people. Mm. You cannot go into that situation saying, listen, I have a PhD. I have a master's degree. Therefore, you should hire me. Um, that's, that's not what we should be doing at all. Um, it should be like, hey, this is what I did to earn my PhD. Like, so that's mm-hmm. kind of like the higher, higher ed aspect of, of really teaching people. I think everybody knows that they have value, right? Um, industry knows that academics have value. I mean, they hire people from education all the time. They, these people that we have taught, um, mm-hmm. they just don't get it though. Like I remember having a conversation with my brother, he does international business stuff. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And he's like, listen, man, I don't understand academics. I don't think I ever will. Hmm. We have to understand that the type of academic that is coming into industry now versus pre-COVID in general is a very, very different population. Before COVID, people had a myriad of different reasons for leaving academia. Some wanted to leave, some didn't want to leave, um, but there was a lot of resentment that's there, like residual frustration. The, okay. the biggest comparison I've made is the idea of it's the same, like akin to leaving a church, like that culture of mm-hmm. leaving academia. Um, now you have people who are being compelled to leave, um, who don't want to leave education. They want to stay in education, but they can't anymore because there are no jobs there. Um, and so I think that one of the things that needs to happen on the side of academia is humility. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to understand that people want your value but that's not reason enough. Like you have to help them see it. You have to translate yeah. it. It also requires a dose of humility on the side of industry. Saying like, like, you know, I had these prejudices before. Let me reel them back in a little bit and look at this candidate um, and just understand that they are coming from a different situation now. Yeah. The other theme that has emerged is that, I mean, higher education is changing. I mean, it is changing covid has made that certain what has made that even mm-hmm. more certain especially in the united states is the decision making on behalf of universities very problematic mm-hmm. um i am not one to watch things happen this is what would happen in my field i know it's happening in my field to watch what's happening and to say hey here's a cool idea i can write about and then write a paper for a year spend another year publishing it and then having, like I said before, maybe 50 people, if you're lucky, read it. And this yeah. commentary on the change of higher education. Um, I, uh-uh, I can't do that. I want to be able to be there to facilitate that change. Um, and the mm-hmm. thing like the, the, the common theme that keeps happening is 
why aren't we having these discussions out in the open? That's what I want this to be. Like so many of the conversations that we're hosting are conversations that have been so often held behind closed doors. Um, and now it's about like, we need to expose them in order to change them. One of the mm-hmm. panels that we have, um, I have a panel that's going to be explicitly about toxic cultures in graduate or in, in um, higher education in general. Um, and just like mm-hmm. some of like, just like sharing people's stories of that toxic culture I have another panel on um, inviting some special education and disability advocates that like okay. what can graduate programs learn from SPED and disability theory to help reduce mm-hmm. the toxic nature of their programs. Um, I have, <laughs> really yeah, and I have one, like I have one on like, Hey, graduate students, if right now is not the time to continue graduate school, it's okay to drop out of graduate school. Um, and just like, it really just, normalizing these things were, that were um, so stigmatized before. Yeah, um, and yeah. so it, like, it's just this idea, like these, these two themes that have emerged of um, these, these people have value. How can we translate that value? Mm-hmm. And then also let's, let's change higher education before all of these things that we don't like about it become further embedded. Cause if, if it's, if, yeah. if it's not going to change now, tell me when it will. <laughs> No, I I totally agree. It's super interesting that you say that. And off the mic, we I was talking about uh, term. I don't know if it's been used somewhere else, but it, it, something that I I think makes sense the the changing the PhD brand and and I think from the inside, like you're saying, but also try to change how people outside academia perceive what a PhD, uh, you know, someone with a PhD means. What kind of being is this that says I have a PhD? Like. Uh, and and I, I totally agree. I'm super super curious to to listen to those panels because I think it's this, those are, these are very pertinent uh, uh, pert- questions to answer today. Today, where ev- everything is like frozen, people are at home, and there's there's actually time and space to have these conversations. Like you say, to bring it bring them out of of the drawer where mm-hmm. <laughs> where or the the cabinet where they're they are you know behind closed doors. I, it's super super cool that you mentioned that, and I, and I do think that that it'll take. Like you say, it'll take the universities to change how they present, how they kind of sell, let's say, the PhD to candidates and kind of from from day one tell them, look, some of you will be professors, but most of you won't, but you'll come out with a PhD and it'll serve you well for the rest of your life, right? And then the other side is, hey, employers, okay, you may imagine that PhDs are, uh, you know, very, uh, say, kind of distant people, asocial. Uh, they're going to demand a lot and and try, to, you know, and and be very particular about what they do. Let's let's actually sit and let us tell you what a PhD is, and then lay out all the transferable skills that they bring, the specific capacities. The, one of the one of the things is. Why they embarked in this huge, difficult project of three, four, five, six years, and what that means to your organization to have this person in your team? I, I think those are conversations we, have, we need to have starting today, for for the like for the next decade to change things. Yeah, and I think that, um, like, yeah, there there are two things that like uh, to comment on that is that, like, in the first example that you use of like, all right, this is what universities need to do to do this. Let's be honest. Uh, 
universities aren't going to change. Uh, mm. They they will not change unless they are incentivized to change. The number one mm-hmm. way to incentivize a graduate program to change is for students to ask these questions. Like, oh, before like before I accept like before I before you accept an offer, have an explicit conversation. What kind of support do you offer for non-academic careers? Mm-hmm. And if enough people are asking that question and enough people turn down project or turn down programs, then they're going to change. Like it has mm-hmm. to be like, so yes, I agree that universities need to change. We need to ask ourselves, how is that going to happen? And the way that that's going to happen are having these conversations like this. It's, it's true. It's true. And, but I think also, uh, I, I think there's some change happening where I, I, I feel like universities that, I, that I'm in contact with, McGill University here in Montreal, they're starting to be worried or let's about metrics. Let's, let's talk about metrics. The metric in the past was how many of your PhDs become professors and publish a lot. But today, the people in these, in these offices who are you know, thinking about the PhD career, now they're asking themselves, what jobs are they getting and and I think the change is happening. It's hard. These are huge organizations. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process. Mm-hmm. But from my experience, and again, I don't know how widespread it is, but some in some places, it's happening. It's happening. And I think it's good news. But it needs to ha- happen more and more agree. and be yeah. normalized, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I just and, and kudos to those programs that are doing cool things. Um, like there's the graduate program or the graduate school um, not the program itself, but the graduate school at Clemson University um, is doing some really cool stuff, like with their program mm-hmm. that they have. I have um, an interview with, um, um, I think it's Johns Hopkins, um, and their their program that they're building up. Like, so they are popping up, um, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, like why did it take this pandemic for these things to happen in the first place? It's not like those placement <laughs> numbers were great before the pandemic hit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that I wanted to, to mention too about what you said is this, um, and it's kind of like, it reflects a little bit of the attitude of having a PhD of going and talking to industry. Like, like you mentioned, like, you know, what we need to do is, is like, all right, let's explain to people like, you know, what is a PhD and like, what are the transferable skills and stuff like that? Um, to have that conversation on the whole only reinforces the an elitist feel of an academic coming into industry. It's like, well, you don't understand Mm -hmm. me. Let me explain to you about me, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. What should happen, right, is like having having those, because again, um, a a recruiter um, knows what it takes to get a PhD. They're not idiots. Like these people, Mm -hmm. they know (laughs) what education is. They've met other people too. What they don't know is how you value your PhD, how you Mm -hmm. can see how this transfers. And that's what they want. That's what they're looking for. Can you communicate complex things in a way that's easily understood without making anybody feel like an idiot? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going <laughs> yeah. into it with like, well, let me teach you about PhDs. Um, I think that those programs are there. Um, and I think that they're kind of mm-hmm. um, a little bit arrogant. So if we come mm-hmm. in at the individual level and understand that the individual is talking with another individual that represents a company, then that, like it, it takes, it takes a moment of humility for the candidate to, to say, I don't need, like, I don't, let me not teach you about what a PhD is. 
let me share my story. And that's how, like, this is what I've been telling about, especially when I was talking with career coaches, that the best way for you to discover your own value and for you to communicate your value is through your story, is through your narrative. Um, like, how do you talk about it? How can you contextualize these things? And so, like, I think that you're absolutely right. Like, these are like these big picture um, problems. Yep. But if we want to solve them in a way that is collaborative, we need to kind of like, step into a little bit more of a collaborative solution as well. I agree. I agree. And and, and when I was saying what I was mm -hmm. saying, I was thinking more of universities starting to bring employers to the campus. Oh, and, that would and, be beautiful. And, and, yeah. on, on the, I, I was thinking on that side. I don't think the onus should be on the candidate. Like you say, you don't want to look like a, you know, like mm -hmm. a, a pedantic academic uh, in an interview more the contrary they want to you know often these uh, well people today are working from home but companies want to build teams yeah. right and they need good team members and team players and there's a lot of things that you can you know take from a from a phd that can that can you know uh, can serve towards that you know you can say I, i i published with this many people so collaboration is something i you know that i thrive in etc etc but i i think the There, there are some uh, offices in universities that, that that are like PhD career promotion offices that I think do this job. Yeah. There are also companies, uh, hiring companies that kind of also have these two hats of getting people into positions, but also getting employers to to kind of learn that hey, this is a great pool of people for you. But I don't think the the the, the onus should be on the candidate. No, no, the candidate, like you say, storytelling is the best. Yeah. You know, it's you bring that uh, emotion, bring that that story where you aced it, but also you tell this really hard problem that you were able to solve. That's for sure the best. I totally agree with you. And humility definitely is key. Yeah, and and here's like here's what I would say um, is that like it's important to understand the positions that we are in, um, and like the the actual like. Um, I am in this position and I have this sphere of influence. What can I do? Um, and if like, if any of our listeners are at that institutional level, this is your call. Like it's time to step it up. Right. But for those of you who are not in this position of power to do anything, right. Don't just stop at critiquing your institution and just complaining mm -hmm. about it. Right. There are actionable sure. steps that you can and should be taking to to unattach yourself from your, from the name recognition of the university. If you're banking mm -hmm. on the name recognition of your university or the name recognition of an advisor, you are starting like in such a, a, a bad place. You need to start from mm -hmm. your own value. Um, and so just like, just like, I think it is important to say like, yeah, like there are things that can be done at the institutional level. And for those of you who are in institutional positions, do it. But for those of you who are not, Remember this when you do get in those positions, um, like don't lose this fire that so many mm -hmm. tenured faculty lose, right? Yeah. Like I feel like getting tenure is just like a bucket of water on your, like your passion. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like just always be seeking to improve, not just critique. I spent too much time just critiquing things mm -hmm. um, until I started building this. Yeah. Well, and we're going to be reaching the end of the interview soon, but... Uh, I, I and before asking you to to share where people can find you and and uh, you know in, in the the panels etc. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to ask you, you know, maybe thinking of 
you, where you are today, you know, your situation, uh, thinking of, of a lot of people are leaving uh, in COVID. Think, if, think of one or two pieces of advice for people maybe to feel uh, less insecure. Uh, but also, you were talking about action, uh, actionable uh, items or uh, mm -hmm. the same escapes mm -hmm. me. But what little steps they could take to to start building to don't to not feel that they're in stasis right now and that really nothing's happening and they're just in carbonite. Yeah, I think if there were if there were two things that I could recommend that like those of you who are like finishing up your degrees. Um, or who are even like thinking about like, oh, I might be doing a job change soon, whether you're graduating <laughs> or getting laid off. Um, I would do two things. I would find, and they're, they're both kind of the, the same, um, connect with people. Mm -hmm. Connect with people. The, on the individual level, like you need to be able to find someone that you can talk to that can tell you your own story. One of my favorite philosophers, um, contemporary Italian um, feminist philosopher named Adriana Cavarero, um, who, who talks about how we are each um, unique, unrepeatable individuals. And that the, mm. the key to finding um, your story, to finding your own value and your own worth, is by hearing, one of the ways is by hearing your own story told to you. Whether you decide that that's a friend or whether that's a mentor, or if you hire a career coach, find someone and, and ask them to be honest. Like, and they're like, hey, like, why am I amazing? Um, and really internalize those things and start thinking about not only what you accomplished, like I published this paper, what did you do to accomplish it? Those are the transferable mm -hmm. skills, not the publication, the things you did to get published. Yeah. The second thing that I would do is start, uh, um, I, I learned this phrase the other day, a networking tour. Um, okay. Go and just find people that you think are interesting on LinkedIn. Oh, that's the third thing. Get on LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn, do so now. Um, that's where the jobs are going to be filtered. Um, so um, get onto LinkedIn and find people who are adjacent to you like things like, like people whose careers you want to have, companies where you want to work, and just reach out to them and say, hi, my name is Eric and I'm learning about this. I, would, like, I think what you're doing is really, really cool. Can we talk for like 30 minutes so I can just learn? And just build your network, build your network, build your network. Because what those conversations are going to do is going to teach you how to talk about yourself in a way that other people can understand It'll give you practice in talking about yourself. You'll make a connection with another person. And if there's an ever an opportunity, like don't go into it like, hey, can you give me a job? Or hey, can I get something from this? <laughs> like just go into it and, like, and just be yourself, be authentic. And then that authenticity will bleed, will bleed through when that mm -hmm. other person says, oh, you know what? Um, I think I have somebody for this. Let's go mm -hmm. and talk to David because I remember this great conversation that we were having about it. Um, so the, the, you need to connect, like find someone who can help you articulate your own story so you can frame your own story and then start practicing that story um, and make it visible on LinkedIn because we need to understand academics don't do LinkedIn. They need to. 
Um, even yeah. if you even if you are tenured and you will ne- and you are never concerned about your job, get on LinkedIn and support your graduate students, support your students, um, because yeah. that's where things are happening now. And it's not like a LinkedIn it's, plug; it's the reality. That it's all true. the data is being filtered through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And you'll be surprised, anyone listening, at how generous people are in sharing uh, on LinkedIn in these in these communities and. Uh, Again, it's like having informational interviews, but online. And actually, for for this situation where we are today, where maybe you're stuck at home and you you may not have had physical contact with anyone for months, well, you'll you'll be surprised how warm, how uh, how inviting, how welcoming the the this the, these communities are, and how many people out there are are willing and and almost eager to take some time off to chat with you about your 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 struggles uh, your your ideas uh, and and your career and your potential so definitely yeah. super super I, i i don't know if you had another piece of advice but these two are really really good uh, i i'm really really happy to that you that you mentioned this yeah and just to kind of echo what you were saying um, especially academics who are not academics anymore um, i mean um, education is, is this self-selective, like self-fulfilling prophecy of, of altruism, right? People don't go into yeah. education for money. <laughs> right. No, um, and so, um, but now that they understand their own value, they want to help you understand yours because they've been there. They're receiving that crap pay. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you can do it. Like I had, I had one guy that was telling me, he's like, yeah, my, my sign on bonus was the equivalent of my yearly salary um, as a graduate student. Wow. <laughs> you have value. Just don't be arrogant about it. Yeah. Awesome. Eric, this was a great conversation. I really had a lot of fun. Uh, and now I'm going to ask you just to, uh, to let people that are listening know where to find you online. Uh, you talked about LinkedIn and uh, for sure that's, that's if people want to contact you, but you, you know, your, uh, your other projects, YouTube channel, et cetera, that this would be the right moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I am one, like, if you want to connect, like, please reach out to me and connect on LinkedIn. I love, I love meeting people. I really do. Um, and as far as like the, the, the place where I'm housing all this information is at, um, change higher ed.org. Um, it's, Perfect. it's a young, my little baby website with not a lot of stuff on there and I'm <laughs> learning how to do things as I go. Um, but that's, I mean, that's where you can find most of that information. I'm, I'm on Twitter, um, as well. Um, and so yeah, please like reach out and connect and just, if anything, just you know you're not alone out there. Perfect. Eric, thank you so much. Again, I'm super happy to thank you for having th- me. that you that you that you came to to the microphone. And uh yeah, I'll post all of that information in the show notes. So be sure to to uh, go there and to click on the links and to reach out to Eric and you've just heard he has a really great vibe. He's uh he really uh likes striking conversation especially about these themes, so don't hesitate. You know, follow the links and uh and do do chat him up <laughs> yeah please do all right thank you thank you so much david appreciate it and that's it for this episode of papa phd thanks for tuning in happy sharing and see you next week thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers 
I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music